You are listening to The Dr. Kinney Show, and I'm your host, Erin Kinney, a naturopathic doctor and speaker who's passionate about teaching you how to understand what is happening in your body, why your body is reacting the way it is, and how to make the appropriate changes in your life to get your body back into balance. Something I've learned from my private practice is that the more patients know about their health, the more likely they are to make better diet and lifestyle choices, which ultimately leads them to a faster recovery. Each week, you are going to learn actionable tips, tricks, and teachings from myself, along with the help of top experts in the holistic health community, so that you can make better informed decisions about your body and your healthcare. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Dr. Kinney Show. This week, I'm doing another Q&A session. Gotten such great feedback for the two episodes that we did on this before. Thank you all for submitting your questions. I'm gonna answer a few of them today. If this episode or any episode sparks a question for you, please feel free to reach out to me and my team. I love answering these questions. The whole reason for this podcast is for me to give out as much information as possible to all of you guys that are interested in everything alternative health. So again, you can send your questions to info at drerinkinney.com. You can DM me on Instagram. You can message us on Facebook. Again, I love all the questions, so I can't wait to share the answers with you today for this week's questions. Question one is, could you provide a checklist of things to do or take when you first start feeling sick? I know my mind goes blank. And I forget everything you've ever said when I start feeling sick. Great question. So I'm going to talk about my three favorite things that are safe for pretty much everyone to take. And then I'll talk about some other things that you may want to talk to your doctor about because they can be specific case to case. So first thing I recommend is to up your intake of vitamin C. Now, if you've never taken vitamin C before or it's not a part of your daily routine, you may want to start at a lower dose so that it doesn't aggravate your stomach. But typically, I like to get people on a dose of between three and 5,000 milligrams daily when you are feeling sick. Some people, you may be taking this dose or higher dose already. Let's say you take 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C just as part of your daily protocol. When you start feeling sick, you want to increase that vitamin C up to between three and 5,000 per day. Again, if you don't already take vitamin C, you may want to start at 1,000 and slowly work your way up to three to 5,000 because it can start to cause a little bit of diarrhea if your body is not used to taking vitamin C at a higher dose. So that's number one. Number two would be zinc. Zinc, really important for the immune function. It's really important for making sure that you can smell and taste, which as we know are some of the symptoms of our favorite virus that's going around right now. So zinc can be really beneficial in negating some of those symptoms. And the dosing for zinc is anywhere between 15 and 50 milligrams, depending on kind of your body's needs. One of the cool things about zinc is if you want to find out how much zinc you need, you can order a liquid zinc. It's called the zinc tally test. I believe you can order it on Amazon. If you take the liquid zinc and you put it in your mouth and you hold it for about 30 seconds in there, count how long it takes for you to taste a metallic or a bad tasting taste with that liquid zinc. If it happens very quickly, typically that indicates that your zinc levels are pretty adequate. If it takes over 15 seconds or you never taste anything, it just tastes like water to you, that means your zinc stores are very low. So this is a common phenomenon that happens with a lot of the minerals. Zinc and iron are the two ones that I use it the most with my patients, but it's a really easy way to tell if you're low on something. If you taste something, if you taste zinc or you take iron in your mouth and it doesn't have a taste to you, typically that means your body needs it. 
If it tastes gross, that's an indication that your body has enough of it. So you can do that with both zinc and iron. Iron is not something I typically recommend to increase when you're sick. Some people may need that, but that's a case-by-case basis. But you can do the same thing. And a lot of my patients who have low iron, I'll put them on a liquid iron so we'll know. I'll tell them, hey, when this starts tasting really bad, we'll know that your levels are up to where your body needs them to be. So it's just kind of a cool thing about the body. So between 15 and 50 milligrams is typically where I have most people taking zinc. You can take a little bit higher. Some people will take 100 milligrams when they're acutely sick, but you do have to be careful with zinc. It can make you really nauseous if you take higher doses. So make sure to take it with food if you've never taken it before. Some people do better taking it in the evening after they've had several meals. So if you're taking it in the morning and you're feeling a little bit off or nauseous, just move it to a bigger meal and you might find that you do a little bit better. So vitamin C, zinc. And then the third thing that I really recommend to increase when you start feeling acutely sick is vitamin D which is actually not a vitamin. It's actually a hormone. And I've probably talked about this on the show before. I don't remember. I know I've done videos about it on Instagram, but vitamin D, really important that you get your levels tested, whether you're sick or not. Get your levels tested at least once a year so you have an idea of what your vitamin D levels are. Vitamin D is so important for, it's important for for immune function. It's important for cancer prevention. As I said, it's more a hormone than a vitamin, and it has a lot of preventative qualities to it for all kinds of health conditions. So making sure your levels are adequate is really important. The reference ranges for vitamin D when you get your labs back typically are between 30 and 100. I like to see vitamin D between 60 and 80, so try to make sure that your D levels are between that 60 and 80 zone. If they're not, if they're under that, then when you take D, you want to take I usually recommend between five and 10,000 IUs daily. If your levels are between 60 and 80, taking the 1,000 to 2,000 level daily is fine. But if you are acutely sick, say you start feeling like you're coming down with something, you could increase vitamin D to five to 10,000 during that time that you are sick. So vitamin C, zinc, vitamin D, three really good safe things for you to take when you start feeling sick. There are a lot of other herbs. There are a lot of other nutrients that can be added in to your protocol, but these are going to be things that you're going to want to talk to your specific practitioner about. So I'm not going to mention anything here today that may or may not be safe for certain populations. So again, C, zinc, vitamin D, those are my three favorite things. If you want to know about something else, talk to your specific provider. All right, question number two. Do people with thyroid issues need to worry about fluoride in city drinking water? I have a filter, but it does not filter out fluoride and I drink a ton of water. Great question. So let's start by understanding how the thyroid gets impacted by certain chemicals. There is a group of chemicals, if you remember back to the periodic table from high school chemistry, I believe they're called the halides. Chlorine, fluoride, bromine, iodine are all in this same group. They all have a negative two charge, I believe. They can all have an impact on the thyroid. And the reason that they do is because iodine is very important for the thyroid. Iodine helps T3 and T4 work properly. It helps the thyroid do its job. If you are exposed to a lot of fluoride, if you're exposed to a lot of chlorine, or if you're exposed to bromine, fluoride and chloride are the two bigger things that we tend to get exposed to. They can compete out for the thyroid's absorption of iodine. So they can essentially make your body's iodine not usable. And this can start to be a problem. So if you already have thyroid issues and you want to protect your thyroid, Definitely you want to get a filter that filters out both fluoride and chlorine. Really important. And a lot of city waters do contain both of those. Now, the follow-up question that I get all the time when we have this conversation is, well, wait a second, 
fluorides in my toothpaste. My dentist does a fluoride rinse. This can also be a contributing factor and can worsen thyroid issues. But I'm going to tell you to talk to your providers, either your dentist and your doctor or naturopath or whoever you're working with, about what your needs may be in that case. I typically say that the things that you can control, so if you can control your chlorine exposure and your fluoride exposure by controlling what's coming into your body through your water with a filter, awesome. You may have a slight need. I don't know your needs for your teeth. Sometimes fluoride can be beneficial for teeth. But again, we want to look at pros and cons and risk benefits in your particular case. You know, if your thyroid's really suffering, we may want to cut out all exposure to fluoride for a while. Bottom line with that question is, yes, you should definitely get a filter that filters out fluoride for your city drinking water. I don't currently have any filter recommendations, but if someone wants to ask me that question, I'm happy to do another episode and answer that question because I think that would be a great discussion. Next question is, do you treat men? My husband is struggling with stress-related symptoms and I'm not sure who to send him to. Great question. I do treat men. I know it doesn't seem like it because I don't advertise to them, but I end up treating a lot of partners of the women that I work with. And I treat a lot of men who struggle with stress and sometimes thyroid issues, sometimes adrenal issues. And so, yes, I'm happy to treat men. If you have a man in your life who is struggling and needs some help and you think it may be stress-related, have them contact my office. We can set up a call and we can chat to see if I'm a good fit for them. If I'm not a good fit, I can refer them to someone who is. There are a lot of practitioners out there who work specifically with men. I tend to work more with women, but I, I do treat men in my practice. So thank you for that question. Next question. I suffer from migraines and I'm wondering if there is a natural way to treat them. Awesome question and very simple answer. Yes, there is a natural way to treat them. Typically, the thing with migraines is we want to figure out what's causing them. There are a lot of different factors that can trigger migraines to happen. And typically, there's not just one factor that's causing a migraine. Usually, a migraine is a perfect storm of maybe a hormonal imbalance, maybe stress, maybe a food sensitivity, maybe a thyroid disorder. And typically, when I have a patient coming in who has been suffering from migraines, we are figuring out all of the different components and making changes to the things that we can make changes to and figuring out some of the other things that might be contributing to those migraines. It, it can take a bit to get migraines, depending on how many things are causing them. There's almost always a hormonal component, particularly if they're in women. There can sometimes be a past history of trauma, whether that's physical trauma, emotional trauma. If someone's been in a bad car accident, that can sometimes put them more at risk for developing migraines. And yeah, it can definitely be treated with natural medicine. Typically, while I'm treating migraines, for patients with migraines, I will tell them to continue to use their migraine medication until we kind of get to the bottom of things, because obviously I don't want anyone suffering from migraines, but they are treatable with natural medicine. So great question. And last question for today is tips for insomnia. I've been having so many issues with my sleep during the last two years, and I'm really struggling. Any advice would be appreciated. So this is a pretty general question, and I'll just talk a little bit about sleep in general. Insomnia is something a lot of people struggle with. I'm not sure if you were male or female who asked this question. I'm guessing you were probably female. But so I've seen insomnia go on the rise since the pandemic. And there's a couple of different places where you can have trouble with your sleep. You can have trouble falling asleep. And this can sometimes be you go to lay down and you're just not tired or your brain is racing. And oftentimes, if you're having trouble falling asleep, I typically will recommend that we start to work on resetting your circadian rhythm. So if you're really, really tired in the morning and by the time you get to night time, you're just, you can't fall asleep and you don't feel tired, but you're super frustrated because you know in the morning you're going to be exhausted. This typically means that your cortisol is out of whack. 
your cortisol is too low in the morning and it's too high at night. So when we start to work on difficulty falling asleep, I'm trying to boost cortisol levels in the morning so that they'll be lower at night. One of my favorite tips for doing this, if you haven't already tried it, those of whoever asked the question, is using a little bit of melatonin to help you fall asleep. It may not actually help in the beginning to, for you to actually fall asleep, but what it will do is it will start to repattern your circadian rhythm. So a normal, healthy circadian rhythm, we will have elevated cortisol levels in the morning, which is what wakes us up, and cortisol will slowly start to fall throughout the day. Cortisol should be at its lowest right before we go to sleep, and melatonin should be at its highest right before we go to sleep. So cortisol and melatonin have direct opposing actions. In the morning, when our cortisol is high, our melatonin is low. So melatonin is low, and then it slowly starts to rise throughout the day, just like cortisol is high, and it slowly starts to fall throughout the day. As we sleep, our body will build more cortisol and cortisol will start to rise so that when it peaks in the morning, it wakes us up. So using a little bit of melatonin, again, when melatonin is high, the body thinks, ooh, I shouldn't have high cortisol and it will actually lower your cortisol level. Now, along this same line, one of the other tips that I will say if you're having trouble falling asleep is to get rid of screens for the three hours before you're trying to go to bed. No TV, no computers, no, no cell phone. Anytime you look at a screen with a blue light, it's going to stop your pineal gland from producing melatonin. And when melatonin levels are high, that typically indicates for the body to raise cortisol levels because of their opposing action. So taking a little bit of melatonin and cutting out screen time is a really good first starting step for helping you fall asleep and helping to reset your circadian rhythms. Don't be frustrated if this takes a little bit longer than you would like. It can sometimes take a week or two for this circadian rhythm thing to kind of shake itself out and unwind. Think about if you were to be super, super jet lagged, if you were to fly to another country and your circadian rhythm is a little bit out of whack, sometimes you can feel off for a little bit. So if you're having trouble falling asleep and you're tired in the morning, it's almost as if you are jet lagged. So that's that. There are other issues with sleep. I'll talk a little bit about them. If you're someone who doesn't have trouble falling asleep and maybe you're waking up at a certain time in the middle of the night, let's say 3 a.m., This can also be your circadian rhythms are a little bit off. It's just that your cortisol is peaking too early. And that typically means that your system is in cortisol overdrive. You're in the, what I like to call the supernova diva stage of adrenal fatigue. Your body's going, I'm making a ton of cortisol. I'm ready. Essentially, your body's waking up at 3 a.m. because it's it's ready to go. So if you're waking up at 3 a.m. with racing thoughts and you're ready to go and you have a hard time falling back asleep, that can be that your cortisol is surging too early. So and the way we work on that in a similar way, we try to tell the body to increase cortisol between 6 and 9 a.m. instead of 3 a.m. And there are different ways we could do that. I use, use some different nutritional supplementation, some different adrenals. This may be different case by case. So what I'm going to tell all of you listeners, something that's safe for everyone to do is to what I talked about, a little bit of melatonin, cutting out screen time. And the other thing that's really important to do is to make sure you're getting outside in morning light. So Go for a walk, five to 10 minutes, get outside, whether it's cloudy or not, in the sun between 9 and 11 a.m. That signals to the body, oh, hey, this is when I'm supposed to be awake. That will start to help reset your circadian rhythms. And being outside in nature has really, really beneficial effects on all aspects of our health, particularly for sleep. If you're really struggling with sleep and if it's nice out and it's not too cold and you want to go lay on the ground, Laying on the earth, I know that sounds really silly, but laying on the earth is really, really healing for what we call your HPA axis. And that's the part of your body that controls all of your endocrine system. So your adrenals, your sex hormones, your thyroid. It can really also help stimulate the pineal gland to produce more melatonin and help with sleep. So my tips are 
Make sure to turn off screens before bed, take a little bit of melatonin, and get some morning sunlight. If those things don't start to move the needle a little bit, then again, make sure to reach out to your practitioner, talk to a naturopath, talk to your physician, talk to whoever it is that you're working with and see if they have some other options for you. Thank you guys so much for listening. This was super fun. Again, if you have questions, please send them to me. I love answering them and I can't wait to see you next week. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Dr. King Show. Be sure to follow the show and leave a rating and a review. It supports me so much. Plus, I always love hearing from you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll talk to you next week.